Psalm 99. I think it, it will be good that we read it again and hear it tonight as we did this morning. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinances that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgivest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. High and holy, as we said this morning, but tonight we repeat the same, adding the words and ours. High and holy, but ours. Verse 5, exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Now tonight, as this morning, we want to see Christ in this psalm. Because he is in this psalm. He is the one who is high and holy. And that's what stands out about this psalm. We, 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 we not repeat all we said this morning, but we, we have a number of people who weren't here this morning. And I, I think it's important that we have the connection we read here in verse 1 that it says he is high above all the people. And in verse 3 that his name is holy. And this psalm is divided into three, three stanzas. And they're easily recognizable because at the end of each stanza it repeats the refrain, he's holy. There's a call to worship at the end of each stanza, verse 3, let them praise thy great and terrible name for it is holy. And then verse 5, exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. And then the end of the third stanza, verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. High and holy, thrice holy, even as the cherubim and the seraphim around about him, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, and this Psalm 99 is linked with Isaiah chapter 6 because of this thrice holiness that is evident in both. Whenever we say that God is high and holy, we're saying two things that are connected. 
Two things that are interrelated, that are inseparable. He is high because he is holy, and he is holy because he is high. He is beyond all creatures. He is greater than all creatures. Theologians call it the transcendence of God. He transcends his creation. It's not that God is the top of the ladder. You know, worms at the bottom and then animals and then man and then angels and then at the top of the ladder, God. That's not the way it is. The ladder is the created universe and all its graduations, the visible going up to the invisible, but above and beyond all of that, enfolding and enclosing all of that, eminent also in the ladder, in the creation, this transcendent God whom we cannot fathom in his greatness, in his height, and in his holiness. We're not able to comprehend his Godhead, but we can believe it, and we can stand in awe of him, as we ought to do so. My thoughts are not your thoughts, he says, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's why we read Isaiah 40. The nations are just like a drop of a bucket. This holy and high God looking into all the nations and it's just a drop in a bucket to him. We're just like a little creature to him. All nations before him are as nothing and are counted to him less than nothing. To whom then will ye liken God? There's no likeness in this created world. We can only say he's high and holy. The word holy in the Old Testament has various shades of meaning. Set apart, separate, cut off from everything else. The sense is God is unique. God is distinct. God is totally different. Holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, that is completely other. Other than the creature. He is not of our kind. Not of angel kind, not of human kind, not of creature kind. And that's what high and holy means. This, this otherness to his creatures. We then must reverence him. And we must stand in awe of him. And we must be humble and contrite before him. Now the first stanza, verses 1 to 3, that, that shows us that God is high and holy in his reign. The Lord reigneth. He's great in Zion. He has this sovereignty, this authority. And it's a, it's a holy reign. And it's an absolute sovereignty. He ruleth over all, the Bible says. His will is done, and it's a holy will. It's not a limited sovereignty. It's an unlimited sovereignty. A high sovereignty. Yes, the creature's in rebellion, as we said this morning. The earth is angry, the earth is agitated, doesn't like the idea of a sovereign God, wants to cast away his cords and rebel against his, as they see, chains. 
The nations are fermenting in the rebellion, but the high and lofty one is unmoved. Let, let the earth be agitated. Let the earth tremble. He's untouched, so high and lofty. His sovereignty is untouchable. He's holy in his sovereignty in his reign. But the second stanza, verses 4 and 5, it shows that God is high and holy in his righteousness. Because it says there, the king's strength loves judgment and establishes equity and justice. He executes judgment and righteousness in Jacob. So this high and holy God is righteous and just. And his sovereignty is a righteous and just sovereignty. It is the otherness of light, God. Not the otherness of darkness. He is not a tyrant, absolute sovereignty of a tyrant. But the sovereignty, the absolute sovereignty of one who is good, one who is just, one who is pure, one who is righteous. Someone has said that power corrupts and that absolute power corrupts absolutely. That that may be true, true among the creatures and certainly true among fallen creatures, but it's not true of the infinite God. He's the incorruptible God. His righteousness is a holy righteousness. He's not a monster. Bless and praise his beautiful and glorious name. He's not someone who is infinitely ugly and horrid. But good. And just. And righteous. A holy righteousness in his reign and sovereignty. His height and his holiness is beautiful. He has the beauty of holiness, the beauty of goodness, the beauty of truth and righteousness. He is the source of all that is beautiful. Because he is beauty itself. The beauty of righteousness and justice. Having said all of that, high and holy, that does not mean that he is unknowable in respect to a relationship with him. He's not so high and holy that we cannot be connected with him. That we cannot know him. Now we cannot know him in all his essence. But he can be known in our relationship. We can have a relationship with God. And this is the amazing thing about this, this psalm. Though he is high and holy, he has a relationship with sinners. And that brings us to the third stanza. The first stanza. He is holy in his sovereignty and reign. He's holy in his righteousness. The second stanza. The third stanza. Amazingly. 
holy in his relationships, even with sinners. And that's what's being brought out here now at the end. And I say that's an amazing thing because he is high and holy. And it's not just a case of we're lowly, we're low. We are unholy. The opposite. We are positively wicked and sinful. Not good. Not beautiful. Not righteous. And yet, he brings us into a relationship with himself. If this psalm ended at verse 4, we would despair. The king's strength loveth judgment. Thou dost execute equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. If that was the end, that would be terrible. A God who executes righteousness in Jacob, not Israel, but Jacob. Jacob is the man after the flesh. Jacob is the man who runs away. Jacob is the deceiver. Jacob is the scoundrel. Jacob is the man before Bethel. Jacob, the sinner. And what hope is there if a high and holy God judges righteously in Jacob? And that's it for the stop. If he comes to us as Jacob, if he comes to us as sinners, as we are, and judges us with equity, judges us as he finds us, this is terrifying for us as sinners. But bless God, the psalm does not end at verse 4. It doesn't end with Jacob. It goes on. And it brings us the gospel. And it tells us of a covenant-keeping God who has a place for sinners. As I said this morning, verse 5 is the central verse. It's the end of the second stanza. It's the central verse, verse 5 of the nine verses. It's the heart of the psalm. And it's the stepping stone into the last stanza that tells of these relationships that God has. And they're with men. This high and holy God has relationships with men. And we come to our title tonight. High and holy, but ours. Ours. Now I'm not going to expound the last stanza. It would take too long tonight. But verse 6 there you see Moses and Aaron. These are, these are priests. They can call upon God. God hears them. There's relationship here. He forgives their sins. He hears their prayers. He answers them. This is wonderful. But as I say, we, we can't paint the picture that we're being set forth there. I'm just kind of introducing the last stanza tonight. Verse 5 introduces us to new concepts in this psalm. And by new concepts, I don't mean concepts that are not in the, in the Bible before this, but concepts that are new in this psalm. 
It doesn't end at verse 4. There's something else. And it is this. Exalt ye the Lord our God. And worship at his footstool. You can come. You can approach. He's high and holy. He's our God. Nonetheless, despite his height and holiness, he's our God. And he has given us a footstool where we can come. This is amazing. This is the gospel. This is the grace of God. And it is, as I say, the stepping stone into the last stanza. We learn then two new things in this psalm here. We learn first of all that the Lord is our God. And secondly that we can approach and come to him because of the footstool. He has condescended to have a footstool. Who is high and lofty and holy. That we can come to. He brings us near to himself. These are amazing concepts. That Jacob can come to God. That Jacob can have a relationship with God. That Jacob can say, He is our God. Jehovah, our God. First of all, then, this expression, Jehovah, our God. Now, seven times in this psalm, the word Jehovah occurs. Not accidental. He's the perfect God. The I am. The holy other. The eternal one. This name that is an uncreated name. uh, uh, That sets forth his eternal essence. The eternal I am. Not I was. Not I shall be. Not I change. Immutable, eternal, unchangeable. Who always says I am. I am being. He gave us being, but he is being. We are, we were, we shall be, but he is eternally I am. Perfect God, perfectly holy. Seven times Jehovah. Four of those times he is called Jehovah our God. And it begins to happen at verse 5, where we are tonight. And then it is repeated again there in verse 6. Thou answerest them, O Lord, our God. Verse 9, exalt the Lord, our God. And worship at his holy hill, for the Lord, our God, is holy. This possessive pronoun speaks of our relationship. He's ours. Though transcendent. Somehow he is ours. This is wonderful. This should stagger our minds. This should fill our hearts with admiration. That such a God could be ours. This unknowable can be known. This distant can be near, because that's what it means. It means near, he's ours. That this high can be at hand with us. 
ours. When we hear this pronoun, we read of our relationship with him. And whenever we read of this pronoun and our relationship with him, we always think of two things, or at least we should do. And the two things that we think about are, first of all, God's covenant in Christ. Our God. How, how does that come about? Because of the everlasting covenant. I'll be your God, he says. It begins in heaven. It originates with him. In his love and grace, the everlasting covenant of grace, whereby he says, I'll be to them a God, and they'll be to me my people. I'll be to them a father. They'll be to me my children. Covenant. That's what the covenant is all about. I make a covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, to be a God unto thee. To be your God. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their inward parts, write it in their hearts, and I will be their God. Their God. So he's not only high and holy, he has a holy covenant where he promises to be the God of sinners in his grace. He has sworn in his holiness. And that's why we call it a covenant. Now this is just using human language to convey to us concepts of the love and grace of God from all eternity. And this is an amazing thing. And it should comfort us as the people of God. And all the promises are based on that. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. I'm your God, you see. It's all the basis of his presence, his promises, that he won't fail us. I'm your God. Now they desire a better country, didn't we study in Hebrews? That is a heavenly country. And God is, is not ashamed to be called their God. He's not. For he hath prepared for them a city, and that's an eternal city. To live in the presence of God, and the eternal life of God, and the beatific vision, seeing face to face this transcendent God in Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed to be called their God. I have prepared them all of this, this, this new heavens and this new earth, to be with them face to face in all my eternity. Not ashamed. This is an amazing thing. Of course, the only other thing that we think about is not only God's covenant, but we think of Christ. Because, as I said in our studies of Hebrews, this covenant is in and through Christ. Christ is the one who brings us near to God. 
Christ is the one who brings us into this relationship. Christ is the one in whom we meet with God face to face. And behold the glory of God. Even this transcendent God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's the footstool where we meet. The reference here is to the Ark of the Covenant. You remember Chronicles it says whenever David was speaking about the temple that he would have liked to have built. He stood upon his feet. He spoke to all the people and he says, Brethren, my people, I had it in my heart to build him a house. A place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. For the footstool of our God. The Ark. The footstool of God. Where we come on to and meet God. And have a relationship with God. And that ark sets forth Jesus Christ. And we're not going to preach on the ark of the covenant and how it does that. But it does. He's the one who came down to earth. He's the one who was manifested and put his feet on this planet, the footstool of God, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, taking a creature nature, coming down into the world to bring us into a relationship with the transcendent God. There's a footstool. It's Jesus Christ. God's ark. The word made flesh and become visible. And it's all to do with this eternal covenant. To bring a people nigh to himself. To be his people. And it's not just about Jews. It's about Jews and Gentiles. Because Jesus says if I be lifted up. He's talking about the cross as if it's a throne. His glory. If I be lifted up high, I'll draw all men unto myself. And his hands are stretched out on the throne of the wooden cross. God's footstool, drawing all men unto himself and bringing them into a relationship with the transcendent God. Four times the expression occurs. Jehovah our God. It's not by accident that it is four times. Because four is the number of universality. The four corners of the earth. The four points of the compass. East and west. North and south. Jews and Gentiles. All men. All nations. The Lord our God. Four times to encourage us Gentiles. Now we are welcome too to the footstool. So it's, it's not just Jews. So the psalm is fulfilled in Christ. He has died. He has risen from the dead. He's ascended and he's reigning. In Christ he is the Lord our God. So it's Christ that reconciles us to God. He brings us near. 
And we have to come to his footstool, to come to Christ, to worship there. The reference, of course, is to the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is stained with blood. It didn't have to be the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. The mercy seat is a place of propitiation, a place of atonement, a place of the covering. And he's a high and holy God, but he can only admit us through the place of propitiation, through the sacrifice, through the blood, through the mercy seat. And the mercy seat isn't some material thing in heaven as if heaven is a, as a material place. No, it's a representation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's the mercy seat. He's the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who brings us to God. He's the one who reconciles us to the Savior. So the reference is to his work and his cross because of Emmanuel and his death on the cross that we come near to him. So the cross and the blood of Christ brings us nigh to this high and holy one. So we're talking about Christ crucified. This is how he can forgive our sins and yet take vengeance on them all. Not just brush them under the carpet, but forgive them and yet judge them Deal with them in the blood at the footstool, at the mercy seat, Christ. And it says at the start here, forgive me for my voice, I don't know what has happened, but he dwells between the cherubim, but he also dwells between the thieves. And that's his throne, the cross. It's by that that he conquers. It's by that that he brings us into the presence of the transcendent God. It's by that that the veil is rent in two and we can enter into the eternal presence. And so the cross was Christ's glory. It was by that that he defeated death. It was by that that he conquered Satan and crushed his head. It was by that that he put away sin and brought in an everlasting righteousness. It was by that that he brings unto himself all the nations of the earth to faith through his cross. He reigns from the cross. And old Bishop put it this way, fulfilled is all that David told in true prophetic song of old amidst the nations, God, saith he, hath reigned and triumphed from the tree. You see, congregation, there is no other way to admit us into the presence of the High and Holy One but by the blood-stained mercy seat, stained by the King's blood, his throne. Remember the cries around the cross? If you're the King, come down. Come down. They want him to come down. But, but he wouldn't come down. He's ruling and reigning. Conquering. 
to bring sinners out of the prison house onto this transcendent God. And so he makes us kings and priests to God by his cross. And he reconciles us to God by his cross. And he sets us free by his cross. And we are able to go right into the presence of God through his cross. So you see, Calvary's here. Christ is here. The cross is here. You remember when he ascended? He reminded us. He's going up to glory. He'll bring us with him one day. But as he left, he says, I ascend to your God and my God. I ascend to your Father and my Father. He doesn't say our God and our Father. We can only say our God and our Father because Jesus in flesh can say my God and my Father. He brings us into this relationship. And this is amazing that we can know God. And that we like Samuel and Aaron and Moses and and they were faulty men. We've seen their faults. But he heard their prayers. He answered their calls, their petitions. With all their sins and infirmities and their weaknesses, he loved them, they were his. And he hears our prayers. And he forgives our sins because of the cross. That's why we glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's a scandal to say that's that's Christ through. The word says that's foolishness. We don't want to hear that. They would say that's that's blasphemy. It's not. The cross is the power of God unto salvation. That's what it is. It's the throne of God to bring sinners to himself. And that's why Christ gloried in it and looked upon the cross as his glory. And that's why we glory in it. God forbid that I glory in anything else but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so are you believing in Christ, congregation? Are you trusting in Jesus? Then God is your God and Father. And the High and Holy One not only inhabits eternity, but He dwells with you in Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. God with us. And you dwell with him and shall dwell with him throughout all eternity. All because of the footstool. God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And so to Christ alone is the glory of our salvation. And you who are sinners, who are far off, who don't have a relationship with God, who don't know God, who, who can't pray to God and have the assurance that God hears you and answers you, who don't have the comfort of his nearness, his covenant promises to you, how can you continue? How can you live and die without this God? So you you must come to Christ 
And we must begin to have a relationship with God in Christ. Before it's too late. Before you waste away your few years and die in your sins. Before it's too late. Come to his footstool. Come to Christ. And he'll receive you.